Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Incomparable, number 684, September 2023. Welcome back to The Incomparable, everybody. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And I decided to revisit a beloved movie from my childhood that uh, all sorts of people cite as being like an incredibly influential, uh, and it truly is, film uh, at the, fir- the first modern superhero movie that led to all the others. Yes, we are going to be spending this episode talking about Superman, the movie from 1978. I enjoy how on Max, the streaming service, it is Superman colon the movie. I don't like that mm-hmm. but that's what it Mm-mm. is sometimes called it was on the poster superman the movie not the man i mean the not the comic book appropriate it's the movie it's a movie uh joining me to talk about superman is it, is it though the movie it mm-hmm. is the movie are these people shelly brisbane is here hi shelly jason i'm here for a reason more of a new movie for you <laughs> right 78 I mean, it's in color. It's, it's so weird it's in color <laughs> it's true it's true chip sutterth also joins us hi chip Say, Jason, that's a bad outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Reference acknowledged. Eric Ensign is here. Hello. Jason, this is the most baffling of episodes, well, of movies that I've I've had for a while. It feels very strange to be here right now. And our final panelist, uh, Steve Lutz, when you were just a baby, I sent you into the world, but... The time frame of how long it took and then how long it takes for you to listen to me now is unclear, but welcome to the the podcast and uh, please enjoy your special polar real estate. Oh, Jason, will you look at me quivering? Like a little girl shivering. You can see right through me. Oh, no. Can you read my mind? Can I read your (laughs) mind? I think I might just be able. You can fly. Ah. You belong in the sky. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put our cards on the table here. Superman, 1978. Absolutely influential, important, Mm -hmm. has some amazing things in it. And I'm just going to come out and say it here if you haven't figured it out already. I think it's bad. I think it's a very bad movie and I do not like it. Although there are parts of it that I like. I think that lots of it is really poorly executed and bad and dumb and uh, maybe dumb, fun, dumb sometimes and other times not fun. Sometimes at other times, all. not even remotely fun. All, I went into this with such rosy glow and hope about how great oh this movie God. was going to be. How, did you, did you all The do? nostalgic was just bubbling within me. Mm-hmm. I and and Jason, what was this? <laughs> See, baffling, baffling. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, yeah, I was I was yeah. so honestly, I'm I'm going to lay my cards on the table. The reason that I'm actually here is because I'm looking forward to doing a future Superman movie, which I've never seen, which is the Brandon Routh one, because he was in a Hallmark movie that I really, really like. So I was like, you know, <laughs> okay. what? I'm going to start at the beginning. <laughs> Superman in 1978. Like, that's a great movie. I have friends who like I tend to agree with whose opinions well, you I had friends respected and treasured and they think that this is just a really fantastic movie so I went mm. in kind of remembering bits and pieces of it from the you know I've probably saw it a couple times and uh and then I watched it and um yeah it's <laughs> it's it a movie can be important and not that good and I think that that's this and I also think that this is like the cinematic version of the comic book like missing link it is it is it is not a serialized comic booky thing from the 30s 40s 50s uh but it's not quite a movie yet and it somehow tries to straddle <laughs> the line between those it's possible to be too much like a comic book it's just like these weird little vignettes and character moments and some of them are great moments but they don't feel like a movie. And as much as I loved seeing High River Alberta all over the freaking screen, that was delightful. It wasn't enough, you guys. It wasn't enough. I've got to put my cards on the table here. I am a longtime superhero movie fan. I'm a longtime superhero fan. I am old. <laughs> mm-hmm. I came late to the compact disc revolution and when I bought my first compact disc, it was of John Williams' Superman the Movie score. Right. Hey, everybody running for the, the doors because you love this movie and you don't want us to spoil your childhood or whatever, stop. Don't go yet. John Williams, the real mm. superhero in this movie, I think. I love this is the this is the one that we don't talk about like we talk about Indiana Jones and Star Wars but this is his other a third great from this era heroic score I would say there the that that Superman theme itself it's so good I love it so much um it is very much of a kind with the Raiders of the Lost Ark Indiana Jones theme and the Star Wars theme but like, let's hear it for John Williams. Absolutely, these are possibly Ooh. the best opening titles in well, film. Well, possibly. I, wow, that's no. okay. Okay, not the titles, but the music. But the, mu- the music. The music Chip, is fine. I, I did not have the same compact disc that you had, but I did have an eight-track tape uh, called <laughs> "Superman and Other Disco Hits" by the Doctor <laughs> X Band. Not the same. Not the same. And that <laughs> is a fantastic uh, eight-track. If you you know if you find yourself in the market for eight tracks, I, I I highly recommend it. But yeah, the theme comes through even in disco versions. That uh, yeah. You know, are covered by random, uh, random disco bands. bands. Disco bands. So, if I had cards, I would lay them on the table, but I have none. Uh, I did love this movie as a kid. I am not a superhero movie fan at all these days, especially since it's sort of taken over what we think of as movies. Mm-hmm. But I watched this happily and joyously as a kid, and watching it again, I am probably not as down on it as the rest of you guys are. Neither do I think it's a great movie. But I wasn't disappointed in in the way that you can be disappointed when something you watched as a child turns out to be abysmal. Uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. it. There are things about it that were worse than I remember, but 
I enjoy the the score. It is great, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performances are good. It's two movies, really, and you can argue about whether that's a good idea. At because least. I read some stuff today that indicates that it <laughs> being least. two movies is kind of what you have to do. But I think it's really jarring when it switches from one movie to the other, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. But whatever I say about it, I mean, I, I do have a lot of sort of nostalgic feels for the number of classic Hollywood people in it. Yeah. Uh, and and as I say, not a superhero person, but I was obviously familiar with Superman and had seen so many animated incarnations of it from 70s cartoons and stuff that the idea that they made it flesh and made Christopher Reeve, who I've always found very appealing and very charming, uh, made him mm-hmm. s- the Superman as opposed to whatever giant 70s star like Paul Newman or somebody else would have been Superman, I, I think it is great. Oh, yeah. He's perfect. Yeah. I I also want to say that I don't find fault with Christopher Reeve nope. or Margot mm-hmm. Kidder well, or, many, or many of the other actors in this. For me, it's down to... The story structure, the screenplay, the and some some of the just baffling things about the movie, uh, how long it lingers in things that I don't care about, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then strange decisions it makes about what like because because we talk about and Shelley, you mentioned like seeing this as a kid, and we all saw this I think pretty young. Um, it lives in my mind it, it, with happy thoughts, and they are all about the scene on the rooftop. And about uh, Don't Call Me Chief and about bumbling Clark Kent and about going through the revolving door and uh, about maybe like flying, saving Air Force One by flying where the jet engine should be and about Lex Luthor cackling and putting his little little thing down on the map where he's going to break off California and create his own uh, beachside real estate, which is a ludicrous <laughs> plan, but funny, uh, but ludicrous, but funny. Uh, I have all of these moments in my mind. The the Fortress of Solitude, Solitude growing out of the Arctic in with the shards of glass and all of that and the weird projection of, of uh, Marlon Brando. All of those things live in my mind. The problem is that those are the things that I think when I watch this movie again are the things that mostly work. And it's a much smaller fraction of this movie than I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watched this movie multiple times on probably ABC whenever it was. And, and the, the TV versions were uh, extended uh, from what we saw on Max, which is just the vanilla theatrical version. Um, oh, over and over, you know, uh, over the years, I'm sure I saw it three or four times and it lived happily in my memory for the exact same thing. But I was young enough then, you know, a, a few years before that, when I was a kid, you know, I watched Batman um, reruns unironically. Sure. And <laughs> yep. Yep. And this movie, the the thing that just sort of leaped out at me watching it at age 50 something was how much this felt like there was a lot of Batman 66 DNA in yeah, Superman there's a whole 78. Yeah, camp in this thing. Campiness, yep. yeah. Yeah, and, and Christopher Reeve is fantastic in the role, and sometimes he's delivering lines that would have come out as deadpan comedy from Adam West, Sometimes he delivers them with a bit of a smirk, like, um, I know I'm being corny, but I'm just 
to I'm just cool enough to get away with it. And sometimes the script just has him leaning straight into the Adam West of it all. I really wasn't expecting that this time. I don't remember it being as intentionally funny as it is. I mean, funny in the way that the movie makers intended it to be, not necessarily funny in the way that it would be received. Like, oh, I really enjoyed that. That was a good laugh. And I actually, I mean, I I, en- I enjoy a good campy movie when, especially when it's intending to be the second half of it, and and the part where where we're where but once we meet Lex Luthor uh, and spend time with his hench people, it, it's just sort <laughs> of which are straight not... out of Batman, by the way. Yes, yes, of course, absolutely. And I I want to lean into that, but it feels really jarring because of the movie that's come before parts of the movie that have come before, and we've spent all this time doing world building and Clark Kent and Superman building, and now we're into this sort of cartoon. Universe, and that's why I say it feels like two movies, and why I have a problem. I think Gene Hackman, who was paid, who was one of the people who was paid a ridiculous amount of money to make this movie because he was a huge star and Oscar winner at this time, I think he's doing what he's been assigned to do. Mm-hmm. But I kind of hate him, not in the way that you hate a villain. I just, I just don't enjoy watching him. <laughs> at least he, I feel like at least he's he's charismatic. It just feels like he is in a different movie for most of the time. Yes, I, I feel agree. like he's in a slightly less heightened. Uh, like cartoon version of the movie than his hench people are in. Like I honestly did not realize until I watched this movie that uh, Peter Griffin from Family Guy is basically just an impression of Otis, and it's just like it is. It is a hundred percent cartoon, and then you get the rest of the movie, the the rest of the later part of the movie that is not so much cartoony, but sort of uh, you know. A, Almost a pastiche a little bit on the fast talking, like, you know, movie uh, movie news studio sort of things at the newspaper. And that's that's OK. And then but yeah, then you had that whole first part, which was high drama science fiction. Yeah. And yeah, great. I mean, the guest stars are wonderful. William Russell from Doctor Who. Like he <laughs> was, he's in there for like a brief second. And that's really exciting. And, you know, to and he's, you know, probably like the least of the bunch in terms of uh, of, of Hollywood caliber. But it I I had completely forgotten that almost any of that existed for some reason in my head. And I, I think I only saw it a couple times when I was quite young. So I really did not uh, remember very well at all. I didn't remember that like any of that was in there. I kind of for some reason thought that the movie started when he landed on Earth mm-hmm. and all of the stuff with Marlon Brando was in like flashback. Um, and then I discovered, oh. no, the Marlon Brando flashback is some weird part where he leaves Earth for 12 years to go throughout the galaxy and learn things that he didn't learn when he was already in his cocoon meteor. And for some reason, his dad's been dead for a thousand years as reckoned on Earth. And yet it was only 1948 that the planet exploded it. I just. It, I, there's uh, well, well, that's so in there much. because people in this in this 1978 era really love two minutes of traveling through a star field and staring at colored blobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, and, that's uh, true. And that's why we that's why, Steve, we see it twice in the credits. And oh, no, then... this is the third one, because. There are many colored blobs and star fields while he is traveling to Earth in his uh That's his true. So it's in the credits in the traveling to Earth. And then when he's learning slash also traveling, I guess, because 12 years pass inexplicably, really. Um, Just to change from that 32-year-old teenager yeah. into the 32-year-old right. Superman. <laughs> so so this is, this is I okay, one of my big complaints about the movie now that I've seen it as an adult is its structure. It is, they, they spend so much time on Krypton 
It's boring. There's the whole uh, sentencing General Zod and his gang, which is very much part. They they were trying to shoot Superman one and two together. Um, in the end, they were so far behind that they stopped, and then they ended up firing Richard okay. Donner. So that explains that, because I, I looked at that and I was like, this is kind of a strange thing to tease a sequel in the opening moments of a film. Uh, it, like, it is, it is that super generally. strange and it is a complete waste of time. Uh, the, I think the Krypton stuff looks interesting, but is not interesting in any way. It goes on forever. I discovered actually two things while watching this movie. The first one, uh, I had fond memories of seeing this as a child, too, and I remembered it being pretty good. I had better memories of watching Superman 2, which I, I, I hope when I go back and watch that at some point, I don't determ de determine it as, as, as uh, disappointing as this. But um, after getting into like the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of the thing, I realized I've never seen this movie. I'm fondly remembering the Mad Magazine parody, which was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the second thing I realized was that um, the uh, the file that I was watching of this film, which I had thought said three hours and eight minutes as some sort of like an encoding mistake, uh, was actually three hours and eight minutes because I was in fact watching the ABC TV version, which adds oh, no. not oh, just a God. little bit of footage, forty freaking minutes of wow. footage. Oh. Steve, uh, and of if what? you think that that uh, uh, the the endless scenes on Krypton are painfully dull now, or the <laughs> very very long pans across Ma and Pa Kent's farm, you haven't appreciated them until you've seen them in Extendo Vision. Helmeted dude slowly pursuing Jor El and Lara. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it is uh, excruciating. See, I remember those Krypton scenes, and I, I because I remember the hype well enough that uh, Marlon Brando was going to be in it, and oh, I I got to watch and got to spot Marlon Brando. I know who that is, but I was real. I remember being I was young enough that the Krypton scenes annoyed me as a kid, kind of wanting to get on with the movie. When mm -hmm. are we going to see Superman? Mm -hmm. When are we going to see him fly? And for a movie that you're marketing to a mass audience, including a lot of kids. That seems especially dumb. And it, yeah, I, I read that too, that it was really to, to pave the way for the sequel. And I just found, I, you know, I'm, I like backstory as much as the next person. I, I enjoy that. And I also enjoyed seeing, uh, just as Erica enjoyed seeing actors she knew, I, it's like, that's Trevor Howard. I forgot he was in that. He's an actor, an English actor who made a few movies in the 40s and in the U.S. Uh, you know, there's Terrence Stamp, there's Brando, of course, sure. who was very, very good, actually. And I don't remember, uh -huh. I remember thinking he was chewing the scenery, but he was actually quite good. And <laughs> I'm sort of annoyed to admit that because I'm not particularly a fan of Mar Marlon Brando, the human being. Uh, but in any, any case, way too long, way too long. Let's get to, and I'm somebody that is is perfectly happy with a moderately paced movie like this that actually takes time to introduce character. But for God's sake, get on with it. Get off that planet. So the movie has two opening sequences and it, it wants to have both of them. And I think that's part of the problem is uh, when Erica says, I think it was Erica, that that she thought that the the Krypton stuff was in the flashback. Um, that Yeah, that's how the movie should start. The movie should start with the, the Kents driving down a road and a meteor lands and there's a baby in it. Because that, first off, you're like, oh yeah, it's Superman, <laughs> right? This is great. That's how it should start. And then we we spend you know if if it started right away with that and and the kid picking up the truck 
uh, acting as a jack. And then we cut to young Clark wanting to show off and his dad, Glenn Ford, it, it, which is so great to see him. And he, he it's like Pa Kent, again, lives in my mind. Yeah, until that, Clark kills him by making him run. Well, yes. Heart. <laughs> yes. This is absolutely true. Um, but like that, that is good stuff because it sets the whole idea of like he's like us but he's apart from us okay and then he has his coming of age his dad dies he hears a magic crystal whispering to him he has to go to the <laughs> arctic and build his magical kryptonian fortress of solitude and then jor-el is going to give him the data downloaded like look here's who you are and what you have to do and if that was a quick update on sort of like here's why you came to be and then we cut to metropolis I don't know. I feel like the movie would have worked better, but instead we have all of Krypton and like, I am not here to see Krypton. And then we finally get the kid. And then there's that moment that made me laugh out loud where after um, he's got the download, we have that one shot where Superman with no dialogue sort of hovers around the fortress of solitude. <laughs> and I think it's literally in the movie. So the people don't like to go out to the lobby and demand their money back because we're halfway through Superman and we haven't seen Superman. So they put it in there, but then it's immediately cut to Metropolis, Daily Planet, Taxi, and we don't see Superman again for another endless amount of time. And it's and, and just that is amazing. All, all completely true. My bigger problem with the structure of this movie is it's an origin story that takes out all of the fun parts of origin stories. Yes. None of them discovering, I mean, other than seeing him lift up the, the, the car, it's like all of the stuff about them discovering he has these powers and, you know, accidentally like setting the house on fire with his, <laughs> his heat vision, uh, you know, that all, that's all gone. And then all of like the more advanced him discovering his own power stuff is cut out with that endless star field and traveling through space and learning about nine galaxies and, worth and of they crap. don't take the time to explain why he needs to have the two identities which they could have done right. as a way of getting us into this whole okay he's clark kennedy superman well why and why can't he tell anybody and apparently until the one bad day in metropolis where they <laughs> have both a helicopter crash and air force one is going to crash he's i guess been invisible and not done anything until that day where he finally decides to reveal himself it's very weird in the same way that we were mentioning earlier about lex luthor lex luthor behaves like he and superman are villains that are villains and, and heroes that go back ages because we all know that that's what the relationship is in the comics it doesn't make any sense in the movie because they just meet but like it, it the movie wants to have it both ways and and yeah it, it is very weird that Superman just appears full-blown and starts saving literally everybody one night. It's so strange. Yep. But it is, it is it, to your point, one hour and 10 minutes into a two-hour and Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and not only do they not skip the, uh, do they not show you the discovery of him and his powers, they short-circuit it by actually explaining ahead of time because his parents are talking about, oh, but on Earth, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. It's, it's the definition yep. of <sighs> telling and not showing. And... It's this is this is why I keep coming back to the this is the missing link between the the serials and the movies because it just it doesn't feel like a movie it is not structured like a movie my my biggest complaint is the same one as yours Jason is is the structure and I feel like I was sitting there like okay it's 1978 things are different things are wild it's still sort of the new Hollywood era so directors can kind of do whatever they want and 
I, I'm thinking, what would, you know, in addition to the changes that you suggested, Jason, I think those would make a much better movie. But I was also thinking, or you could take it even a step further and do it like a multimedia thing. And suddenly, you know, you get these these little drops of uh, uh, of promotion before the movie comes out where you get to see what Krypton looks like and the backstory and stuff. So then you can just start with Superman and everybody knows all that boring stuff that already <laughs> happened. But it's less boring because you've packaged it uh, like, you know, little, little internet snippets. Whereas I feel like also if you had gone back a couple of decades and dribbled this out as here is your 20 minute, uh, you know, Krypton thing before some other movie. And here is 20 more minutes of Krypton before some other movie. And then, you know, piece by piece, I feel like I would enjoy this movie if I had not sat down and watched it in a two an hour and 23 minute chunk. I think if I would have doled it out and pretended that it was a serialized adventure story, I probably would have liked it a lot more. And it just it, it doesn't really do either one very well. It's not a very good movie. It's not a very good serialized format show. So I was bored. Time to take a break so I can tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Factor. Fall is already in full swing. You may be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for your jam-packed days. Mmm, jam sounds good. Factor is... I gotta focus, I gotta focus. I have tried Factor. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved it means probably not as much jam as you'd like, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door in a box right to your door. It's a very nice box, by the way. You will save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. I'm telling you, the quality of the ingredients in the Factor meals are the thing that impressed me the most. I got some nice chicken breast meals. That's one of my favorites. So good quality. I have to admit, other meal boxes, sometimes the quality of the meat, not very good. But in Factor's case, the meat was good. The veggies were good. Really high quality. Could not have been more impressed with the quality of these meals. And with Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store because they are fresh. They are never frozen. And they are ready in just two minutes. And there are more than 34 flavor-packed options to choose from every single week. And if you want something special, you can level up. There are Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat again in record time. So you can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, asparagus. Plus, keep your energy up with lunch to go. Factors effortless wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers. No microwave required at all. And to finish your order... Think about breakfast a little bit. 45 different add-ons, including breakfast items like apple, cinnamon, pancakes, bacon, and cheddar egg bites and smoothies. Whatever part of your food life you need help with, Factor can help you. And rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Factor offsets 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, along with sourcing renewable electricity and featuring sustainably sourced seafood. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door and ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Go to factormeals.com slash snell50 and use the code SNELL50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code SNELL50. That's my name, S-N-E-L-L-5-0 at factormeals.com slash SNELL50 to get 50% off your first box. What a deal. Thank you, Factor, for supplying really nice meals to my door and for supporting The Incomparable. So it was critically praised at the time. So the time, I have yes. one of the things that I'm trying to wrap my brain about is... Uh, how much of this is 1978 movie expectations versus 2023? Uh, and 98% I, I, of it. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. an incredible amount. Incredible yeah. amount. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, and, th- and the other thing that I wanted to mention real quick is that um, another thing that surprised me, this is this is 40 years after the creation of the character um, that this that this movie comes out. Um, yeah. Jerry Siegel and J- Joe Schuster were able to see this at a screening. Um, you know, it's it's been it, it, it was it's been that long. But this movie assumes that the audience already knows a lot about Superman. Like you said before, they know who Lex Luthor is. Um, there are lots and lots of tropes of Superman, such as changing in a phone booth. That are the one good bit in the film, by the, the way. Coming, <laughs> the one good bit <laughs> coming across the 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 half phone booth, yeah. and determining oh, that it's not so insufficiently good. concealing mm-hmm. for him to change in. Yeah, but that's that, that's the thing. That's there's there's another uncanny valley piece to this movie where it's where it is being absolutely reverential to the source material, and it's also making fun of the source material. Um. In 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 a nineteen seventy eight movie, it, it 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 it's hard for me to process. But see, that feels like twenty twenty three versus nineteen seventy eight because the movies, the you know the the comic book era that we live in now, the superhero era. I, I think people are used to this being much more earnest and taking taken much more seriously. Sure. And nineteen seventy eight movies that come out of comics to the extent that they exist, things that entertainment well, that came out of comics Batman. to the extent they existed was. <laughs> was very whether it was campy or not it was very much lightweight material what you sure. you didn't have any serious dramas of any kind that featured superheroes and just the live action nature of superman in 1978 the last uh, non you know the last superman that people would have seen in the 70s would have been animation and there were this the superman uh, renderings from earlier were all either very cheap serials or very cheap Movies, Superman is a flat character anyway. He doesn't really have a lot of a personality. And so the ways he was rendered in media before this movie were so different. It's it's like you literally took an animated character and you breathed life into him. And I think that's the way people in 1978 saw it, especially because there were so many effects of Reeve flying and actually doing all these Superman things. It felt like a very different, you know, a doll came to life basically in that movie. You will believe a man can fly. You know, right. that's the that catchphrase right. on the poster. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, and it, <laughs> my question along those lines, Chip, is um, I've never read any of the action comic stuff from the early 30s or the mid 30s. Um, was the early Superman stuff this cheesy? Because maybe it's not making fun of the source material. Maybe it's an homage. I don't think that I don't think they would have been trying to capture the comics of the 30s or the 40s. They would have been trying to capture the Superman that people remembered, which would have been um, comics of the 60s and 70s, uh, George Reeves uh, uh, and the Adventures of Superman on television, um, some of the cartoons that were going on. I think uh, Super Friends cartoons were happening around that time. You know, the Hanna Barbera stuff, which is which sure. was my exposure to Superman because I was I was young enough that Super Friends was where I knew Superman from, and I probably had seen some George Reeves at, at some point, but there wasn't a lot of '50s Superman 
TV. And I also think the reason, that, uh, one indication that they had a different idea for what Superman uh, would be in a live action sense is they moved it forward in time because the comics, you know, they started coming out in the 30s, but a lot of Superman, as it is rendered in serials and in, in television, takes place around World War II. There's a lot of anti-Nazi stuff that Superman gets up to in, in those iterations. And so for seven, for the for the 78 movie, they moved it forward because it's a lot easier to not have to make a period piece. But I think they're also trying to telegraph something about Superman being more modern in their telling than the source material. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I will accept that, of course, um, you know, Adam West Batman and the idea of like everything is comic booky, but you know, that, that was, that was what people viewed this thing as, as comic book movies. And, and then we're going to see something very different today than we would back then. I would say though, the filmmakers, like first off, it's Mario Puzo, right? Who wrote apparently a very long screenplay that they had to edit down. Uh, the man who brought you the Godfather. Yeah. And Earthquake, which mm. is where he got his San Andreas fault knowledge from. Yes, sure. exactly. So, like, you've got that, you've got Marlon Brando, you've got this very sort of, like, serious uh, sci-fi uh, world that's happening and the tragic sort of, like, and we're giving away our son and all of that. There is, I mean, it's all kind of mixed up together, but I, I will admit, like, one of the things that that I find kind of joyous in this movie is when we do see Superman fly. And yes, it is it is ridiculous, but it's also fun. It's like he's he's sort of floating and, like, there's one moment where he needs to chase, he's chasing the missile and he needs to go faster. And, like, as far as I can tell, the way he goes faster is he clenches his fists more in front of him and kind of pushes his <laughs> arms out more in front of him. A little like he's revving up a motorcycle, but he's just a guy flying. So he can't, like, how do you show him flying harder right like it, it is you know it, you will believe you know you will believe a man can fly right the tagline all of that sort of thing like there is some sort of mixing up realism with comic comic bookiness and while this movie came up came out after star wars it was actually in process before star wars was released so it's not really a post star wars movie in that sense and I, I i think that that's important to note because it's not like a reaction to star wars being successful this was a parallel track and so parts of it are very old-fashioned and parts of it are trying to really make the effort to envision a what you know what does a modern movie in 1978 look like that has a super superman in it and and th some of those parts are the parts that i really like um, it's just a bunch of other stuff around, like, especially, like I said, the structure and the, the coming of age stuff being there, but being kind of after all the, the prequel stuff with Jor-El, the baffling other than that they need to change actors moment where there's a long special effects thing with a Brando voiceover where he says, I didn't even catch this until this time. Literally, I've never understood this before where he's like, and it'll be 12 years before you go back which always seemed just completely bizarre to me, but they have to do an actor swap and take him from the fifties to the seventies. Um, I don't know. It, it just, it, it's, it, it takes so long. Really. It takes so long for, for us to see the daily planet and so long for us to see Superman. And, and I feel like it's a fun, like Steve said, it's half the movie. And, and if, if the first half of it was so great, that the buildup to it was so amazing, I could get by, but it's not. It feels like the whole first half of the movie is basically just waiting for Superman to show up. Yeah. 
I think that's true. I, a lot of the things I like about this movie are in the first half, excluding the Krypton scenes. I, I love the the rooftop scene, of course, and when he's taking Margot yeah. to fly, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I, it does. It takes entirely too long, but I'm glad it's part of the movie. I wish the two halves of the movie gelled better. I wish that in the first half there was a little uh, more expeditious in the way they get to where we're going. And I think maybe the second half wouldn't have been quite so jarring to me had they... Uh, taken a little less time with the first half. It was more like the first third and then the second two yeah. thirds. And I'm somebody who, like I say, I like I like character development in my action movies. So don't cut the first half too much for just reasons of getting onto the action, but do cut it because those scenes are just genuinely too long. And I, I, the 12 years, th- that whole whole sort of weird thing where he's like, okay, we're going to get give you time to forget Jeff East so that you can remember Christopher also, Reeve. It's they're just developing long. the wrong characters. They, they're developing his parents and you don't actually get any character development for 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 Superman and Clark Kent, really. I mean, you get his parents a little bit and you get a tiny bit of him wanting to show off uh, at school. And then that's it until until we have, you know, Clark Kent being Clark Kent. And I mean, th- Jason, you're right. There are parts of this movie that I think are glorious and and fun. And I think the parts that it gets right, it gets really, really right. I, honestly, casting Christopher Reeve as Superman was just, that was, that was gold. I think it was in uh, the... Uh, Agents of Smooch, episode 100, trope draft. I believe James Thompson picked the the trope of taking off your glasses and uh, and recognizing that oh that person isn't isn't a, a nerdy schlub. They're gorgeous, and because and he picked Christopher Reeve doing that. And it's that usually in this a movie. woman. Thank you, yeah, James. And for in this movie, it's not just taking off his glasses. It is like a magic trick. The way that he changes his posture and his his whole demeanor just just shifts. And it's like, how did he do that? Like, I've watched gifts of that uh, on Twitter and just been like, that is that is an amazing piece of acting. He does such a good job of it's, playing those two posture, different characters. not just glasses, right? Yes, it's it's all of it. And the voice it's still too. entirely like the voice, absurd, though. I mean, and the voice is, is great because he doesn't <laughs> overdo great. it. Like when he does the transition, it could very, very easily slip into, I am Superman now. And mm-hmm. he does change his voice and his posture subtly. I mean, you can see it happening, but it's subtle enough that you believe it could be the same person. I believe it's the same guy and he can fly. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that maybe the Clark Kent voice is a little bit like that's the one that he overdoes. But I would rather have him, mm, yeah. I think, overdoing the Clark Kent voice than the Superman voice. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it, the, Superman the balance more or less there is just the his voice, as far as I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, another thing I want to credit uh, for Christopher Reeve's performance is that he really sells. We're never told why um, he is hiding um so thoroughly as Clark Kent but Reeve just absolutely sells that performance early on he has manufactured this klutz this mild-mannered klutz so thoroughly that you can tell that he's working at it you can tell that he is doing whatever he can to make the superman underneath invisible and i think Reeve's performance is just it, it, it's it's just masterful at that. Clark is over the top, um, and Superman is kind of cheeseball, but the contrast between them is just perfectly done, I think. Yeah, I genuinely like the bit where he catches the bullet when uh, oh, she's yeah. having her purse snatched, mm-hmm. and then she starts walking away, and you get the scene of him opening his hand and dropping the bullet, and then there's like a little Superman smile that just sort of 
appears on his face and then disappears again. And that's he's he's kind of breaking the fourth wall on that one. Yeah, but it works perfectly. Uh, the um the scene. So he saves the day in a lot of places, and then there's the whole Daily Planet. Like, oh, we got to know who this guy is. Have we got to find out about him? Um, there's a scene where Perry White, uh, is, uh, is Jackie Cooper is, uh, freaking out. He lists all the like front pages of all the newspapers in Metropolis, which by the way is literally New York in this movie. They don't care. It's New York. Um, and I thought, I think it's funny cause I keep waiting for the J Jonas Jameson moment where he gets to the daily planet and it's like, wah, wah, we got a story about sheep and everybody else is Superman, but no, they just have a story about Superman like everyone else. I don't know why he's making us look at all these front pages, but the <laughs> point is that, you know, it, it's all very exciting and they got to find out about Superman. And she gets the note saying a friend is going to visit her. And, and that, that scene where he descends sort of like quietly onto her rooftop and she's all dressed up and he's like, are you going somewhere? Or are you, you know, you know, I can come back later. And she's like, no, 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 no. All of that, that part, right there is magical it right down to the scene where he departs where we see her watching him fly and i think todd vaziri our friend suggested that it's probably that one shot is a rear projection of him flying off um because he flies off and she turns and walks back into her apartment in one long unbroken shot and opens the door and clark is at her front door such a great shot that whole thing like superman Mm -hmm. leaves clark is there it's one shot that but that whole scene with them on the rooftop itself is just magical. It is wonderful. Margot Kidder is charming in it. She she you know all all of those things uh, with the notebook where uh, it's like oh oh yeah uh, she gets a cigarette and it's like oh lung cancer and he he like X rays her lungs and says well not yet. Uh, yeah. Superman. But you've got it now that Superman's used his x-ray visions on your lungs. <laughs> See, that's the kind of scene that makes me say that I like an action movie with character development because they do take their time in that scene yeah. and it's well worth it. And the same thing, even leaving aside the, if I could read your mind, cheesy song. We are not going to leave it aside, but we'll leave it aside. Nowhere. Okay, we won't leave it, leave it aside for the purposes of saying that I yes. like the visual of that scene. I like the scene except for the part where she's saying cheesy lyrics. Yes. That part, I had, you know what? My, I, I blocked that from there. my mind. I blocked <laughs> that from my mind. I didn't realize it. It's literally, she's, she, they wrote lyrics to the John Williams score. Da, 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 da. And apparently Margot Kidder sang it and everybody's like, yeah, this is not going to work. And then they didn't say, let's not do that. They said, why don't we just have her sort of Shatner-esque do a dramatic reading right. of the lyrics as if Lois Lane is composing a very bad poem while being flown around by Superman. It's so bad. It's a great looking and, scene where they're flying. And, and I like the subtleties of the way that they're flying together and yes. that she's uncomfortable because she's trying to figure out how to balance and, yeah, and, and that she she's going to be okay. It out later and all that part's that is nice. Yeah. Well, and and then she's great. uncomfortable because he just drops her to her death. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he does do that. That's a move. Oops. Yeah. Yep. So he could catch her. It works, though. She's totally into it. That poetry, one of the reasons that it's so vexing is it only kind of rhymes sometimes. So you have those moments. It's like a a real roller coaster, everybody, where it's like, oh, that was a rhyme. Was that just a mistake? Oh, maybe it's not rhyming now. Maybe it's not a mistake. Nope. 
Nope, nope. That it is rhyming enough, just enough for you to know that. And it's also on the, the desperation of the lyrics, the, the lyrics themselves. It's not just oh, I'm discovering this new person who I might love or like or something like that. There's this incredible amount of desperation in it. She really wants him yeah. to see her and really wants him to t- basically ravish her. And it's just like you. It's kind of uncomfortable. They just barely know each other. But but they don't barely know each other. They're Superman and Lois Lane. Yeah, We've fine. known them for forty years. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So I will say, as an adult, one of the things that I enjoyed in this movie, one of the very few things that I enjoyed in this movie vastly more than I did back then is uh, some of the double entendres that are in this movie that as a That's child, I heavy, did not know. Yeah. There is there is a line where Lois says to, to Superman, so do you... And it just hangs there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's right after her asking him, how big are you? Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Totally yes. Good to see you. Yeah. I like big or like normal size. And, and, and that moment is hanging in the air. And I am sitting there thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, I get it now. <laughs> I assume the rest of your bodily functions are normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am programmed to yeah. pleasure in seven eat? different languages. Do you eat? I think she says eat. She does. She, she says does. eat. That's not what she was thinking, though. And he says, when I'm hungry. When I'm hungry, yes. <sighs> anyway. Peter Pan flew with children, Lois. Ah, uh, That part, I mean, seriously, all that stuff, like, it's way better as an adult. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so great. This is hilarious. Well, and uh, it makes me appreciate uh, Margot Kidder all uh-huh. the more because I enjoyed her, but... With an adult sensibility, I'm like, the way she delivers those lines and the way she reacts to what he says is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a legit chemistry there. I think they're yeah. they're mm-hmm. they're very good together. And yeah, she does definitely pull that off. She was uh she was a favorite of mine early on from like the Black Christmas days and, and it's unfortunate that she had a kind of a rough go of it later because she, yeah. she really shows some some very nice uh acting chops here. Although I wish super super journalist Lois Lane couldn't <laughs> didn't fail to spell very simple words properly, which is just super dumb. There's only one P in rapist, says Perry yes. White. Which... Well, I don't know. There are there are some good writers who are just terrible spellers, and maybe she's but a that's terrible not on her. That's too. a that's just a horrible a horrible character choice. But yeah, sure. That's yes, that's true. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're. I think one of the reasons that that this movie has lived in my head as being this wonderful thing for so long is that the chemistry with with. Uh, with Superman and Lois Lane, like it, it is, it it's real, and it only is, you know, mildly deflated by the long "let's block it out of our minds" flight with the poetry. <laughs> um, but the rest it of it would is have, pretty great. <laughs> it would have been nice if we would have actually, you know, talking about character development, if we would have actually developed that relationship at all. Because I agree, the chemistry is great, but it is 
like Shelly said, it is a little creepy that it's like, okay, this is technically the second time you're meeting him, but it's really the first, first time date. you're meeting him because because the first time like you didn't even talk or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, but it's just 1978. I know, but there's just... There's... <laughs> Usually you'd already had sex before the first date. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just didn't feel, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't feel earned. And given how much time we spent on Krypton, I just, anything else that's shortcut in this movie, <laughs> I don't have the patience for it. It's like, uh, like somebody said earlier, there's a lot of Superman tropes that they're expecting the audience to know going in. Like we mentioned the the not phone booth phone booth and Lex Luthor and the fact that he's hiding as Clark Kent. But like the, the thing that they really could have just assumed we knew and let it go is the fact that he came from freaking Krypton and we had to watch so much of that. And mm. and all I get is one scene of them flying with terrible, terrible, terrible lyrics mm. when like and, and maybe this is partially on me because that is the bit that I remember the most. And I think I spun it out into my head to be like, oh, this is a romance movie between Superman and Lois Lane. And it is super duper not. Mm. On the plus side for that poetry, I think the reason people don't remember that flying scene as being way way too long is because they've blocked out that whole sequence yes. where she's doing the poetry. Yeah. So yes. it just seems like a nice quick, you know, spin through the sky. I had no memory of it at all. And I could not believe what I was I, hearing. Same. I remember this. Like I say, I remember the visual of the scene. I remember them flying, but I do not remember her reciting poetry. No. I was worried for a second that we had accidentally started the the extended cut because we the version <laughs> that we got had both versions and and I was like, is this for real? And Stephen then mentioned like, yeah, it was originally supposed to be a song and it didn't work, so they did this instead. And I was like, they what? Still didn't work. And, <laughs> and and then we got done with the movie, and I was like, seriously, there's a version that's forty minutes longer. Oh my god, yeah. of what? Uh, yeah, it's it's mm. all the boring stuff stretched out. Yeah, longer. Longer, so they yeah. can show it over two nights, probably on ABC. Exactly right. They, they, yeah. they more boring, but also longer. Well, some of it's kind of fun. I mean, the, there's there's a whole bit on the train where, like, uh, first of all, you see uh, the most ridiculous effect I think I've ever seen in my entire life of Clark running in front of the train. Uh, never for a moment does it look like he's running. No. Uh, but then there's a brief shot in the in the theatrical cut of a girl like watching and being amazed as mm-hmm. he runs past her, and in the extended version, it's like, oh, that's Lois Lane. Like her parents say, Lois, calm down. Uh, you know, so. and 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 the parents are Kirk Allen and Noel Neal, uh, the serial Superman and the serials and televisions Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, nice little nice little Aww. bit like that, but yeah. yeah, the extended version just draws everything out even e- even further. Yeah, and there's a whole bit, as as I think Chip alluded to earlier, where uh, when Krypton starts to explode, they've the the council has already detected like some power surge from his crystal apartment, and <laughs> to determine they're going to send some guy to go retrieve him and arrest him, and that's all going on in the background, which doesn't show up in the theatrical. And that that's minorly interesting, but then there's a hell of a lot more shots of like just people falling sideways through the sky which goes on already way too right. long in the theatrical cut. Right, so. because, you know, the most dangerous thing is um, if you if a man decides that your planet is going to blow up, you, you just need to make sure he doesn't leave when it blows up. That's the thing That's you should right. be focused on. <laughs> He's got to be here. It's just you should stay. And he carefully works around that by saying, I will not send me or my wife yes. off of this planet. It's true. <laughs> Wink. Very clever, Jor-El. So then we move into the other part of the movie, which involves Lex Luthor and his plans. And... I, I want to say, um, I I actually, I I enjoy Gene Hackman. He's trying real hard here. I feel bad yeah. for Ned Beatty 
Um, I, I sort of feel bad for Valerie Perrine, although she's got some moments that are kind of fun. I feel bad for Ned Beatty, though. And Gene Hackman, like, he's he's given it the old college try. And the scene... I, I like the scene where he sends his ultrasonic message that only Superman and dogs can hear, <laughs> uh, saying, I'm going to just, you know, kill all these people if you don't come and visit me. And Superman goes and drills. He becomes a drill and goes down into the sewers and eventually finds them in their flooded train station lair that they've got. That's a great lair. I it mean, is a, that it, set was very cool. And then and then he does the whole thing and he's got the map and he does all that. Like, I... I think that scene is a lot of fun. However, there are a bunch of scenes before that with Lex and his and his uh, loser uh, sidekicks that are kind of boring. And um, and the you know, it's as if the makers of the movie were like, you know what we, we people really want is Lex and his gang having hijinks out on a road somewhere where they have to reprogram a missile. And then they said, you know what would even be better than that? Yeah, let's do it twice. Let's just do the scene <laughs> twice consecutively. It's like, no, what are you doing? It's like, oh, Otis, he screwed up. We got to do it again. Like, no, why? Why are we doing this? That part of it is just like death. Uh, I, I can't stand that part. But I do like the I one scene. I wouldn't have scene. one of my men do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. Oh, God. Oh, About God. face. About yeah. the, face. The, the comedy child abuse and the comedy <laughs> sexual assault yep. and the comedy, uh, you know, just overall misogyny was... Uh, like, mm. like, I get it. It was 1978. So those jokes probably played really well in the theater. But that's one of those things we're watching it now. I was just like, oh, yeah, that kid just got slapped when they talked about Superman. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And... and don't forget, you know, we're going to have to rub her chest and then give her the, the old mouth to mouth. And I was like, oh, you added rub, mm. rubbing her chest in there, too. Oh, I didn't yeah. even I, I anticipate that. That was my mistake. So, but I, do love, but I do love that scene where Superman shows up. He's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's unlocked. Come in. And, the, and they do their little like repartee. Again, it feels much more like these are people who've been going at it back and forth for a long time than that they just met. But that is a moment where Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman are going back to, you know, they're they're like it's a battle of wits and he's toying with them and he's like, Superman's thinking I'm going to take you down and, and Lex Luthor has a plan. He's got a lead box with a convenient kryptonite meteor in it that he's immediately figured out. Obviously, if I find a rock from the place that he's from, it will hurt him, which is a huge leap in logic that I don't uh, think bears any. Analysis. It's a leap in logic for the characters. It's a leap in logic for the film. Yeah, it is. But again, I, I think that scene is fun. A lot of the other Luthor stuff, again, I erase from my mind. I remember the the, the confrontation and the map and all of that, and and then and the necklace of kryptonite. And I I remember that. I don't remember all the other ancillary stuff that's much less interesting. Um, and so you know, I shrug at all of that. But that one scene with Luthor and Superman is really good. I I love the stupid line where Luthor looks at the map and he goes, Otisburg. I just, I don't know, for some sure. reason that With a backward me. S because Otis is a <laughs> yeah. dummy and can't even yeah. do an S right. Yes. The one thing that I had forgotten that uh, pleasantly surprised me about Lex is the the vanity about the wigs. Uh, mm-hmm. I remembered that he had, that that he was all about the wigs in, in this movie, um, or, or all about the wig in this movie, and he didn't uh, reveal his bald head until the very end, but um, I didn't remember the variety 
of special purpose wigs. Yes. I, like, he I like he's got for, his Pacific Northwest roadside wig that he does when he's in the yes. pine trees. That's a very funny bit. He's got a, yeah, he's got a wig for every occasion. Good old Lex. How do you do? Yeah. I feel like Hackman is just kind of wasted in this, honestly. He's, he's basically just playing Gene Hackman. I've seen him do this many, many times <laughs> in other movies. Whether and, he's Gene Hackman or not, yeah, I, I I, don't think, that's I guess why I don't react to him well, because I don't, whether he's playing himself or not, he just doesn't have that bite that I want my Lex Luthor sure. or my villain in general to well, have. He's fine. I, he, does what, he does what he can with what he's given, but I mean, true. this Lex Luthor is a silly villain with silly henchmen, and he, he shouldn't have bite because he's dumb and he's supposed to be dumb. <laughs> So <laughs> why bother casting Hackman and sticking his name in and front of And spending an incredible Reeves? amount of money to do it. He and yeah. Brando both got well, loads and loads of money. Clearly the filmmakers had no confidence in the in casting an unknown and having Christopher Reeve in this movie. They had zero confidence in the rest of it. So they, they had to fill the rest of the cast with names. Clearly that was what was going on. Clearly. And uh, to your question earlier, Steve, about uh, what folks were expecting, you know, Lex Luthor was a mad scientist villain. I don't know what they came up with mad real for him in this Tim, he's, just mad real he's a smart guy. <laughs> he's real smart. He, yeah, he's just real smart. But yeah. Yeah, if, they got, if they'd leaned into the super science kind of thing, I think it would have served the movie a little bit better. Literally anything else they could have chosen to do with these villains would have served the movie better. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're they're definitely the part that I think sticks out the most as being kind of ridiculously mm. at odds with the rest of the movie, especially mm -hmm. after the 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 opening first hour and ten or whatever is is almost like deadly serious in tone, which is weird when you when you add the 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 second half of the movie. But this especially, you know, when you've got goofy. Ned Beatty walking around and talking like a dope and I, just the whole thing is just so uh, bizarre. Well, a problem you always have with Superman in non-comics media, or at least um, you did at this point, was Superman was really the only superhuman character in the adventures of Superman or in this or, or in this movie. You know, you don't get you don't get General Zod and all of them until the next one. So now you'd go into this uh thing that Zack Snyder tried to do with, you know, what is it like to have a God on earth kind of thing? You know, uh, you do a who watches the watchman kind of thing, but, um, without doing something with super science or whatever with Lex, you've just got, you've got this all powerful character and nothing else around him to threaten him to, um, everything, everything literally bounces off of him. I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that's a big problem with this movie. They did try, I feel like, to bring in the moral dilemma at the end of like, you know, we've got two different missiles. They're going to different places. And you get Miss What's-Her-Face saying, oh, you have to save my mom first if I let you go. And he does because he's true to his word. And then because of that, he's not able to get there in time to save Lois. And then like I knew that he was going to you know, fly around the earth and make it go backwards and thus turn back time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I knew that that was ridiculous. And I knew mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to particularly like that but i knew it was coming so i was kind of like okay and don't forget you can fix an earthquake by just pushing the land back yeah, yeah. that just i was fly not down ready into the for lava and push it back up yeah i didn't like that any better um but but i feel like it, once again this was just too many movies because you 
they could have leaned more into the moral dilemma of it, but it, they really barely scratched yeah. the surface of that. It, they didn't even hang a lantern on it in any way. It was just like, if you're not watching super closely, you don't even realize that that's why he goes to New Jersey first and instead of instead of saving. And the fact that he says, oh, but Lois and Jimmy instead of, oh, the, you know, millions of people on the coast. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Erica, mm. I cannot believe that you said Miss What's-Her-Name. When Gene Hackman shouts so- Miss Tessmacher a million Tessmacher. times in this movie. I, I think I blocked it again already. Miss Tessmacher. Yes. Which gave me a Preston Sturgis flashback just because oh. it's the kind of weird sounding name that he sure. would use to highlight a character who's fairly minor, but you give them a weird name so that another character can yell it a lot. Mm-hmm. The end of this movie is really dumb. I mean, like, I don't know what to say. There's a there's a there's a nuclear blast that creates an earthquake. Superman flies into the earth and tries to hold up the ground so that the earthquake isn't as bad. Uh, But uh, the uh, but it's too bad. Lois, after dodging many power poles, her car falls into a hole when she is then covered in dirt. And by the time Superman finds her, uh, she like, as just mentioned, many thousands of other people on the West coast have, has died. And then, uh, what is there to do? What a tragedy. It'll be interesting to see how Superman reacts to this. Oh no, he's just going to go back in time and erase it so that everything is fine again. Yay. Like Superman wasn't already all powerful and could solve any problem. Mm -hmm. And what, it wasn't that interesting. He can just undo time. Uh, so, and that's, he's not supposed to Jason. He's forbidden from interfering with human history. Until yeah. that one day that for some reason he just went, you know, bananas and decided <laughs> to save everybody in New York metropolis. Multiple aerospace accidents in one day. It was a bad thunderstorm. And he, he you had can to... just go back in time once for every person in the West Coast he needs to save. He could just do that a few million times uh, yeah. and it'd be OK. Yeah, <laughs> It's just to do a few laps around the earth. I feel compelled to highlight the good things that I found in this film when yes, they please. appear. Uh, which won't take very long. Um, the, We're monsters. The, We're all monsters. <laughs> the true. whole business of Lois and her car falling into the fault and then her slowly being inundated with boulders and sand and effectively being buried alive is a super effective, super visceral scene mm-hmm. that it does not belong in this movie does in not, any way, shape, or form. It doesn't fit at all, but you're right. And, it is very and, well and what done. what you're seeing there is you're seeing uh, the director whose last bit of work was the omen in 1976 uh still carrying some of that horror movie directing over you will believe a woman can be buried alive it's horrifying (laughs) it is so horrifying and it it feels real and it lasts for like an hour which Uh you know in in the context of this film feels like moments but it's it's a very long scene and, and it is extremely well done but again I'm not sure why it's here because this is a goofy superman movie and it's the even goofier second half of this superman movie yeah and we're watching our heroine get killed horribly <laughs> in great detail. But well done, Richard Donner. Do you have other positive things? I, I, there are other, other positive things. I, mean, I, I didn't know if we were going to leave this. Yeah, this, this I mean, this is the, the end of the movie, which is like, literally, they're like, oh, Superman decided he didn't like that ending. Let's make it a nicer ending. Okay, it's a nicer ending now. The end. That's the end of the movie. There are. Right. There, look, there are. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like we've detailed them like. I got to the end of this movie and I said, wow, I don't like this movie. This movie is a bad movie, but there are lots of great things in it. I think that I understand why it resonated with so many people. It gets by a lot, just not as much as I remember on the charisma of Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder and the chemistry they have together. 
and the the kind of like magical scenes where they're together or when he's flying and the way he kind of like coasts down and in and out or, or puts his fists up to go faster and like every kid who pretended to be Superman on the playground, that's what you did. So of course that's what Superman does. John Williams score is really great. Like there are a bunch of great things about this movie. It looks, it's got that seventies on the streets of Metropolis, which is just New York, uh, right down to the statue of Liberty. Like it actually, I love that seventies kind of smelly, Grit. gritty, crappy yeah, nasty. New York feel <laughs> about Metropolis. Especially. I love that. I love the how the ridiculous Daily Planet stuff where Perry White is yelling at people and Jimmy Olsen's like, oh gosh, chief, right? Like, I, I think all of that is kind of fun texturally. It's just... And, and I want to jump in here real yeah. quick and add that this, you don't notice it because there's so much of a, a garbage fire in this movie, <laughs> but this is a really well shot film. Like if yeah. you go back and look at some mm. of those form those farm shots at Ma and Pa Kent's farm, Beautiful. they're gorgeous. Beautiful. There's a there's a shot uh, where Clark is discovering his magic green crystal. Uh, <laughs> and, and Every young man, the barn. there comes a day where he discovers yeah, where his you, magic you green crystal. <laughs> magic green crystal. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, yeah, there's nothing to yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a shot from inside the barn out. Uh, of the barn door and Clark is in the barn door and it's this beautifully composited shot in the pre-dawn light with a windmill behind him and he's in shadow and it's just it's just a beautiful shot and and a little and bit there, later there's this scene there are where so the, many th speaking of windmills there are so many grain elevators which is like that's a huge thing in alberta and there are tons of them around and that's where they shot this so like just seeing all of those grain elevators made for such a beautiful uh, opportunities for framing like you were saying steve it just it was gorgeous right. yeah it's very very well shot and i think you don't notice it even you notice it even less in the end of the movie because it's gotten more frenetic but like some of those shots inside the daily planet are very well done well um uh, steve the the um so jeffrey unsworth shot this movie he was the dp yeah um, and i saw the uh, 2001 the a space him. odyssey was him mm -hmm. it's his right? last completed film uh, actually also zardoz <laughs> <laughs> oh well that makes a lot of sense oh boy yeah oh boy i i gotta echo and i i it alluded to it before but i gotta echo some praise for the john williams score but i want to be oh. specific about it yes because please. it's it's one thing to have a great opening credit song that everybody can hum along to not not song but musical piece but i feel like the scoring throughout the movie up to and including the place where the poetry is. We're mm -hmm. just going to turn, we're going to do the karaoke version of that score. We're going to leave the poetry out. Uh, but all of the scoring choices that he makes for different parts of the movie are so appropriate and so evocative of whatever's going on in the movie to the extent that you, so much so that I noticed it and went, oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, all the bits of discovery when we have young Clark figuring things out and then he's become Superman and then he's flying with Lois and then all the action score stuff later on. It's just all not only really well done, but all the pieces of the whole uh, come together to create something that's just really amazing. The producers of this movie were afraid to hire Steven Spielberg because they weren't sure how well his uh, shark movie was going to do. And then mm. by the time the shark movie became a hit, he had clout to make Close Encounters. And so he wasn't interested. And I think sometimes about, especially when I listen to the John Williams score, what the Steven Spielberg 1978 Superman would be. And I think I'm going to say it, it would be better. I could mm. pretty much guarantee it would be better. I don't know what it would be, but I think it's, it would be better than this. No, it's still not good. 
It, it probably still would not be that great. Uh, but again, it might be it might be better than this. Yeah, the John Williams stuff, because it transports you. It is, and it's not just the one heroic theme. It is throughout, uh, and Lois's theme, which is the one that she does the dramatic reading to, like, that's a great memorable theme as well. Like, it's really wonderful. And the yes, it is a beautifully shot movie. And and like I said, with some great performances, again, the this is why I think we all remember this movie. It's just that when you watch it, you're like, oh, no, it's actually kind of a hodgepodge and broken and lots of and the tones don't fit together. And it's got mm-hmm. lots of time spent on things that aren't important. And and I I admit we all look at this as jaded. We know what superhero movies are now. Right. And they didn't know mm-hmm. then. And I, I, I will admit that. However, those aren't my biggest criticisms of it. I actually find the the it, it charming how uh, how innocent some of these depictions are. It's actually kind of simple and charming and wonderful. Um, but the movie itself is a cinematic product where they had to bring in actors and like give Marlon Brando stuff to do, and so they created this whole thing that doesn't need to be in the movie, but it's there because it's Marlon Brando. And I think that's the stuff. Uh, and and with the villains and and Gene Hackman like. That's the stuff where it's sort of like three different movies slapped together. And the, the core of it is brilliant with Kidder and Reeve. And then there's the rest of it. See, I probably don't think it, I don't think of it as a bad movie. I can think of many flaws uh, and I, and <laughs> I've stated you. them and I've, and I've agreed, <laughs> and I've agreed with those that, that you guys have mentioned. I think it's really a failure of direction because there's so yeah. many good parts that do not get put together. They ran way over budget. They actually had a second director on standby, which annoyed the hell out of the director that was actually running the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard so, Donner, we it, can say his name. Yeah, Richard. Yes. He's Donner, done good work uh, and also some very, very bad work. <laughs> but not this one, apparently. Uh, no, and but I, yeah, and I don't think it hold it. It's not holding up as a as a good movie. Is has a lot to do with those flaws. Uh, and I'm glad to hear you guys say because we we had a little conversation about how we felt about this movie before we got online. And I I'm glad to hear you guys not point to it it's being dated or it being 1978 any more than you did because I was prepared to say look man the 70s are the 70s you get what you get yeah but but I really do think that those flaws in direction and the fact that all of those many many pieces did not cohere well together is why the movie is broken uh but there's so many good things to enjoy mm. including uh the only thing the only other thing I would say about performances is that like I say, I, I I can't fault any of the performances except my personal thing. I didn't like Gene Hackman particularly. I will say that other than Brando, I think all of those names that they got and all of those other performances, while fine, there's no small performance that reaches out and goes, Oh, that's amazing. You can't you know, Glenn Ford was fine, Phyllis Thaxter was fine, uh Trevor Howard was fine. Maybe he was a little bit better than fine. But you know, you kind of want to reach out and grab some small performance in the movie and say, oh, they gave that old timey actor something to do. And by God, he was great. Jackie Cooper was fine. fine. I think Terrence Stamp is fine. pretty damn good, to be honest. He gives General Zod some actual oomph. Yeah, but for most of it, in you just got to wait, wait to the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But even there, you're like, wow, I hope this guy's in more of this movie. And mm-hmm. then you're disappointed by that, too. He's not. Yeah, that's the that's an entirely other movie. Yeah, Shelley. I, I mean, again, this is not one of those movies where I would say, ah, oh, terrible. Nothing redeeming about it. It's like, it's got a whole lot of things. Like, I came away with these simultaneous thoughts of all the things that I remember are there 
but not in the proportion that I thought they would be. And that's why that's I totally think that fair. it's actually kind of a broken movie. And as an adult, I also look at it and I think this is a very expensive movie. It was like the most expensive movie ever made at its at its time. It is a, you know, Warner Communications using its its property because it owned DC Comics. And I, I one of the reasons that it is cast the way it is and it's structured the way it is, is not down to Richard Donner. It might be down to Mario Puzo a little bit, along with the multiple rewrites that happen. I feel like, though, part of it is the pressure put on this movie to be a corporate product in a mm. post-Jaws world of blockbusters, where they wanted it to, they spent a lot of money in order to make it a blockbuster. And it actually kind of was. But like the parts that don't work, I think it feels to me like they probably weren't organic parts. They were probably parts decreed by someone in the corporate structure as a way to make this product palatable to the audience. And as a, just as a movie, I, a lot of that is puzzling, even though there's some great stuff in it. I'll be interested when we take the time, when I take the time to watch Superman two, because I have a sort of a theory that I can't prove out because it's been a really long time since I've watched Superman two, but I have a sort of theory that another reason it might be broken is that they were trying to make two movies at once. Mm. And I'm not just talking about the Krypton scenes, which is obviously why they did that because that presages Superman two. But I just kind of wonder if you're thinking that far ahead and you're making corporate product and you're doing so with a lot of different writers and a lot of different expectations, whether that's going to help break it a little bit more. Yep. I think so, especially since it didn't work, right? And they had to stop right. working on the sequel. And then when they went back to do the sequel, they replaced the director and it, it, you know, and then he had to reshoot scenes that were already shot and the whole thing. That That's a conversation for another movie for Superman 2. But. Any final thoughts about um, about this movie that we haven't uh, gotten to yet that you want to bring up? I just don't think you can understate the importance of the flying rigs and the flying um, effects and things like that. This was something that had never really been seen before um, with all of the practical and blue screen work. Um, some of that stuff, especially like the missile chase sequences and things like that, look painfully dated but today but i think one of the reasons that this movie was such a success and was so well regarded i mean bless his heart roger ebert gave it four stars uh gene siskel gave it three um is that people did believe that a man could fly. Yeah. And that makes a lot of other stuff just melt away from your memory. And <laughs> it uh, does. the memory, <laughs> and, and I, and I, I, I invoke the canonical phrase for, of Dr. Who fans the world over the memory cheats. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right there. There, if you put the magic of the stuff that does work in this, and then you, the idea that like, you've never really seen a movie realize a superhero doing super things. And this movie does it. And it really hasn't been done before yeah, in the as movies. Goofy as this thing is, this is probably the most seriously a superhero has ever been taken in a movie at this point, right? I mean, sure. is there anything that precedes this? No. Like, they were basically, I mean, this is basically the first superhero movie. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it deserves some props for pulling off it as, as well as they did. Yes. And you see Superman fly and, and you're like, whoa, he's flying, right? Like, it's not... It, it it they it's right there on the screen you can't deny it and that you know as simple as the you know you will believe a man could fly is like yeah people hadn't seen that before and they they did it 
and I could see why at, at the time that novelty and the stuff that works in this movie would let you shrug off some of the silly stuff because you're like, yeah, what what do you want? It's a comic book, but there's some moments of magic in it, and maybe that's enough. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think I like this movie, but as we said, it did some of the things really, really well. And it set the stage for superhero movies that I do like, that I like a lot. So I'm, I'm glad this movie exists. I am very grateful to it. I never actually want to sit through it again, but I uh, I appreciate its existence, I think, is, is sort of what it comes down to. Hmm. I, I mean, I recognize that in 1978, because of the things that you just said, it was it was hailed as as being better than I see it today. And sometimes sometimes I want to to give that a little more weight than I do this time. But it's like, no, I've learned. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I have I have uh, evolved with movies. And just because something was seen as really cool at the time, it's like that's worth taking into account. And I recognize it. But I don't think that actually makes it a better movie. So I don't think I want to sit through it again because it's just yeah. really really slow i gotta say i i now want to go back and watch superman 3 again because i remember how offended i was about how much worse it was than its predecessors and now i've got to think that the i'm the, curious the distance isn't that great <laughs> I don't don't even know what to think about it now yeah i think look going into this i thought one of the three things would happen either i would watch it and be like oh yeah it's a classic or i would say oh no Oh no, it's, it's, what have I done? It's terrible. Um, or it would be in that, in that middle ground. Um, and I think that's where it, it lies. So in some ways I'm actually kind of grateful that the magic, the stuff I remember being magical is magical. Um, and I just didn't remember the other parts and, um, those three minutes of this two hour and 23 minute film. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's more than that, but the, the, yeah, that's the best. That's clearly the best three minutes in it. It, it, it does. Yeah. Exactly. No, you're right. Or or three hours if you watch that version. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it is it. I just didn't remember it being a hodgepodge like it is. And that that is troubling. But it, it's not that it's from 1978, I think. But I can't watch it with the innocent eyes of 1978, having never seen a superhero movie either. The only thing I really have to add, Jason, is that the spinning hula hoops, which are apparently oh. a big motif in Kryptonian interior decorating, mm -hmm. reminded me in a pleasant way of Frankenstein Island and the spinning ammo box. And that might have oh. been my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> I, I did like the spinning hula hoops. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know. It looked great. It's uh, power that paralyzes the arm, Steve. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> the power. Reminds me of the time back in Philadelphia. Oh, oh, oh no. no. Oh, oh, oh. Work the arm, Jason. Okay, I'll work. Oh, hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, that's a reference to another movie. You just look it up. It's in the incomparable. We did an episode about it. Anyway, uh, well, that brings us to the end of this discussion of Superman, colon, the movie, uh, from 1978. Well, I want to thank my panelists for going on this journey. I, I, I picked you up. I flew you around. You recited some poetry. And now I'm gently coasting back down to leave you back on the ground. Shelly Brisbane, thank you for being here. Thank you. I am but a mild-mannered reporter by day, but a podcaster with x-ray vision at night. <laughs> Chip Sutter, thank you. We never did figure out what chewing gum has to do with the secrets of the universe. Mm, Eric Ensign, thank you. Jason, can you erase my mind? Because previously time <laughs> did, and I would like that to happen again. Mm. And Steve Lutz, thank you. Thank you, Jason. This has been a pleasure uh, in spite of the movie. And um, from here on out, if you need a friend, I'm the one to fly to. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. You know, you've got me, but who's got you? We'll see you next time.